the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. With Easter still in our rearview mirror, we'll spend some time focusing in on a fourfold resurrection in Christ. Join us in 1 Corinthians 15 as Pastor Jessica Stand revisits Easter next on Way of Grace. Again, welcome to Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan, who takes us to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll be focusing in the rest of this week on verses 12 through 23, a fourfold resurrection in Christ. We'll see the resurrection of Christ himself, the spiritual resurrection of the believer, the only resurrection of the unbeliever, and the glorious bodily resurrection of the believer. It's all here in 1 Corinthians 15. Join us. Here's Pastor Jesse on today's broadcast of Way of Grace. Well, we're going to be dealing with our four aspects of the concept called the resurrection. And I hope that it makes itself uh, relevant to you. Now, by the time we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the obedience of faith on the part of those who saw our Lord rise again from the dead will have been working itself out for several decades now. And what I mean by that is the, the notion of a resurrection is a foregone conclusion by the middle of the first century. All Christians believe in the resurrection. It's a foregone conclusion. By the time we get to Paul's treatise on it in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, uh, the apostles have already been preaching from Jerusalem to Judea throughout Samaria. And then the uttermost parts of the world, what we call the capstone of the gospel. And that is the resurrection. The resurrection is the gospel proper. Notwithstanding all of the other beautiful doctrines that we know and understand and love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, justification, sanctification, and glory, without Christ having risen from the dead... None of those things could be true of you or me. And, and really what's important about a day like this is we get to be reminded that we should be careful about shifting the weight of our confidence away from the resurrected Lord Jesus as the grounds of our hope to something else, which in the church we can easily do. We can find our hope in something like grace or sanctification or the work of justification or any other important doctrinal truth. But do you know the Bible says the hope of the believer is the resurrection. 
Now, the reason why I want to drive that home is because you have an enemy that you are always dealing with every day, every second of the day. You and I are dealing with an enemy, and that enemy is called death. You and I are gradually descending into the clutches of that which God warned us about in the beginning. The wages of sin is And there's an adversary, a maniacal cosmic adversary called the devil who controls humanity out of the fear of that thing called death. But God has an answer to death. And do you know what that answer is? The resurrection. And where the people of God get a full grip on the significance of his resurrected glory. You don't have any reason to fear death ever Again, this will help you because it's going to give you parameters for tonight and tomorrow to think about why am I so easily moved by the trials of my life? Why do I allow the threats of secular, limited human beings with their puny power to cause me to be anxious? Why am I always, you know, struggling with the uncertainties of life and certainly the potential for uh, mortal uh, trouble, such as sickness? We've all been tested with that now over the last couple of years, have we not? And people will behave under the notion of sickness as if somehow the enemy wins if we die. I love it the way one individual put it. He's a professing Christian, not quite there yet. We hope he gets there one day, but he stated it. And then it was echoed by a number of other very uh, life tried people, if you will, people who have overcome Holocaustic experiences. We still have some Holocaust survivors who know the atrocities of Hitler and Stalin and Lenin and many of those people who were also emissaries of the devil, as you know. See, the only card the enemy has To really get at you is the scare of death. But when once you know that death is defeated, you never have to fear him again. You never have to fear him again. And if you and I can know that the fangs of death, the power of death has been destroyed by the resurrection of Christ, you and I can glorify God in the midst of the fire. We can glorify God in the middle of the trial. Isn't that what Daniel said? Isn't that what Hananiah, Mishael, and and, uh, uh, um, Azariah said? Look, we don't care about your decree, O king. We know that if God wants to, he can easily deliver us. That should be the underlying confidence of every Christian in this room. This should be the underlying confidence of every Christian in this room. And therefore, what the angel said to Mary and Mary Magdalene as they went to the sepulcher to anoint Christ's body, because they weren't jazzing around the resurrection of Christ. They were completely committed to him being dead. Y'all know that. Let's go anoint his body and just go through the mourning process and live with the natural, what we call natural processes of human beings. It is not natural to die. God did not make you to die. We die because of sin. And I have to often say that when we're doing uh, memorial services. And I really will compel it when I'm dealing with a bunch of men and women who have been educated up out of faith. Y'all know those those sisters and brothers educated right up out of faith so that somehow you think death is normal. Death is not normal. Death is abnormal. And once we get a grip on that, we can begin to struggle through what is really important. Is there an eternity? 
We would say there is. And is there an eternity to be had? We would say yes. And does anyone know how to obtain that eternity? We would say it would be by him who swallowed up death and proved it when he rose again from the dead. And see, this should be where the Christian is constantly recalibrating his or her life because when you get out of kilter with the capstone of salvation, again, you and I can be tossed to and fro by all kinds of temporal trials. Now, does that make sense? Therefore, what the apostle does in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you will look with me briefly, we're going to walk through four notions of the resurrection. Let me introduce you to the Anastasia. Anastasia is a name often given to females. You guys know that? Uh, Anastasia. And really what it simply means is to rise again. So whoever named their baby Anastasia named her a really good name. My baby shall rise again and my baby shall rise again because Christ has risen again. What a beautiful name. Anastasia means to rise up a second time after you have been laid down. And that is the essence of New Testament theology as we hear it asserted by Paul in chapter 15 over in verse. I'm going to start at verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead. How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? You see Paul's quandary? So now Paul is starting what we call logic. Really, it's called theologic. For those who are, who are Christians, we love logic, do we not? And we love logic because we know that logic came from God. And logic is clear thinking, it's right thinking, it's coherent thinking, it's rational thinking, but it's also super rational thinking because right thinking comes from God. It doesn't matter where it shows up. When a thing is right, a thing is right. And what Paul was saying to the church at Corinth, which I am uh, asserting just a bit for you and me today, is the church at Corinth had gotten comfortable with Jesus on all fronts. But in terms of his resurrection, they were willing to deny that he rose again from the dead. Now, what Paul was saying is, how are you going to preach that Christ rose from the dead, but you don't believe in resurrection across the board generally? In other words, if no one else rises from the dead, why didn't Christ rise from the dead? See, and you and I know uh, very certainly and emphatically that when Christ rose again from the dead, he did not rise for himself. Neither did he rise by himself. And that's the argument that Paul makes here. It's a syllogistic argument. Paul says, if you don't believe that there's any resurrection, then Jesus couldn't have resurrected from the dead. That's his argument. And then he says, now, if Jesus did not argue from the dead, uh, rise from the dead, even though he doesn't believe that, your faith is in vain. Now, ladies and gentlemen, please hang on to the proposition because it's inherent in my warning. If there is in you or me some kind of questionable notion that Jesus actually rose again from the dead, notwithstanding all the witnesses that have actually seen him, you must know, therefore, then that you have no credible faith. I'm about to prove that here in a moment. Your faith is in vain if it's not rooted in the historical reality that Jesus of Nazareth rose again from the dead. If somehow that's just too hard for you to believe, then stop believing anything. Because to say you believe in Jesus as your savior and don't believe that he swallowed up death 
evidenced by him rising from the dead. Your faith is futile and empty. You're just plain church. You're just plain church. Right, like if I didn't believe that he rose from the dead, listen, I wouldn't be here with y'all. There are a whole bunch of spots on the planet I could be going to right now. I believe that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And it is the capstone to the totality of all of Christian doctrine. The foundation stone is his death on the cross. It built the church. The capstone is his resurrection from the dead. And by the way, that's why Christians were killed. They weren't killed in the first millennium for justification by faith or the doctrine of God's sovereignty. They were killed because they declared that Jesus Christ is Lord, having risen from the dead and being seated at God's right hand to be Lord over Curios are over Caesar and over all the pagan gods. You see then the implications of the resurrection. If you really believe in the resurrection, you actually believe that there's one sovereign, divine and human monarch over all kings on the earth. If you really believe in the resurrection, you actually believe that God had made him both Lord and Christ. If you believe in the resurrection, if you actually believe in the resurrection, you know that we all have to answer to him whom God raised again from the dead. If you actually believe in the resurrection, you see. Again, the resurrection is telling us you and I don't get to dismantle any of the other coordinate and subordinate doctrines of truth. Jesus rising from the dead makes him absolute Lord over everything. Now you and I get to lovingly and patiently tell men and women that we get to say, sorry, Jesus is Lord, not you. You get to say that to your boss. (laughs) Sorry, Jesus is Lord, not you. In the sphere in which you are asserting that you have power over me, did you rise from the dead? Did you pay for my sins? Did you justify me freely by your grace? Did you establish an eternal righteousness by which I'm accepted in the beloved? Is your name Mishua, Yeshua, Jehovah? And if it's not, you have no power over me. Am I making some sense? Right. And when Christians start acting right, then they'll know when folks are drawing lines that are synthetic and unbiblical and seeking to usurp the authority of God. But you can't speak with this confidence if you don't believe that he rose from the dead. So let me build the argument a little bit before I let you go home. So glad to have all of you guys out with us today under our first point, the resurrection of Christ himself. That's a simple proposition. The thing that the apostles preached is that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. Their first targeted audience was the Jews themselves, for which every time Peter preached it or John preached it or James preached it, guess what they said? Him whom you have crucified, God hath raised from the dead and sat at his own right hand and made him both Lord and Christ. So you see the Jewish believer had to actually tell Jewish people that Christ, the one they crucified, has overcome the death that they thought that they could subdue him with and silence him and censor him and keep him shut up. Same old tactics. Same old tactics. Wherever truth is proclaimed, the enemy wants to squash it. 
wants to censor it, wants to control it. But Christ has risen from the dead. Do you know what that means? You can't stop truth. Truth can lay down for a day or two, but on the third day, truth is going to rise again like a tree breaking through the concrete. I have, a, I have a, a beautiful home. I love, I love my home. I, I love the critters that run through my house. I love all that. But I got a bunch of trees at my house. And my trees have let me know that they're stronger than concrete. See, now the tree represents the organic power of God. The concrete represents the synthetic power of man. And it's like every year the tree breaks my concrete up and shifts my house and lets me know that God is true and every man a liar. You can't take God's organic wood and dominate it with synthetic cement and think that you have power over God. No, you don't. And so the trees worship God every year, right along with the earthquake, and my house does this to let me know who actually is the originator of all things, and that's God Almighty. You guys need to know that. So Paul lays out the argument over in verse 20 these way, this way. After starting in verse 12 with the if, and then he runs the logical argument, if you don't have faith, if, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, your faith is in vain. But then he deals with the emphatic in verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead. Do you see it? But now is Christ risen from the dead. We could reconstruct it in the English. But now Christ is risen from the dead. He finishes his logical argument and then he moves into a natural progression through history to argue that physical things are created first and then that which is spiritual. In other words, you and I are moving towards spirituality for all eternity. You guys know that. You have what is called Adam one, and then we have what is called the last Adam. The first Adam is called a natural earthly man. The second Adam, which is our Lord Jesus Christ, is called the man, the Lord from heaven. He is the one that is the grounds upon which we believe in everything that the resurrection infers. So there are two fundamental things I want to drive home. The message of the resurrection is really the euangelion or the good news of the gospel proper. Look at again at verses one, two, and three. Let's assert that and then move to our second thought. I'm going to read verses one through four. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the what? The gospel, which I preached unto you, which you have also received wherein you stand. By which also you are saved if you keep in mind or literally retain, retain what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Beautiful, necessary, essential, non-negotiable truth. Do you believe that, child of God? Do you believe that Christ died for our sins? Truth number one, the implications out of that is that you are a sinner. See, this is a sinner's gospel and you hear it frequently here at Grace. No one can be saved unless you admit and recognize and deeply, deeply confirm the reality that you are a hell-bound sinner. And since the vast majority of the world don't, Christ is not their savior. See, Christ is only the savior of men and women who have come to agree with God that they're sinners. 
So you meet people in religious circles all the time that are ashamed to say that they are a sinner. I'm not. I recognize what I am. The Holy Ghost has taught me to stop lying. 40 years ago, Jesse stopped lying. You're not all that. You are worse than you think. Your best deeds are altogether raggedy. And God takes no pleasure in your strength. You might please human beings, but you can't please God. And so I come to understand that the work of grace is to teach you to be real with God. And then God has an answer to your sin. It's called the resurrection of Christ. Does that make some sense? And it comes home to the real sinner. I need a God man who died in my behalf, buried my sins in the hell that he went through and came out on the other side with a justifying grace that allows me to stand before God as if I have never, ever sinned in my life. Not only that, as if I have always obeyed God, not just in time, but in eternity. So God sees me as the very righteousness of himself in Christ, having obeyed all of God's commandments. Now, children of God and friends and loved ones, that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. And that's why it takes faith to believe that Christ would have done all that for you. But if you actually believe that Christians throughout 2,000 years believe what I just stated, now you see why they don't mind dying for Jesus. Can you see it? Now you can see why they can stand against the edicts of a maniacal, beastly system that would shred them to pieces like animals. Now you can see why they had the kind of allegiance to the Jesus we talked about on Friday, the lamb that held his peace and took the hit for all of us. Now you can see how we can lay down our lives, but also you can see how we live for him. I want to move into my next point now. So it's not just about dying for Jesus. He died for us, but he didn't die for us to stay dead. He died that we might live. So it's really important to know that the resurrection of Christ purchased for you and me our resurrection. Ah, and I'm not talking about the resurrection on the last day. I'm talking about what is called biblically the first resurrection. Revelation chapter 24 through 11. Don't go there. Every man or woman who ever comes to a knowledge of God in a saving way by the pardon of your sins, there was grace given to you by God because of the death of Christ that raised you from the dead spiritually. Every Christian is a product of the resurrection power of Christ. Right. So now watch this. I want you to get this. When you meet men and women of faith, I mean real faith, that was a gift of God given to you. Remember the day you didn't believe? And then the next day you did, according to the Bible, you were born again. Do you believe in the doctrine of rebirth? It's called regeneration, renewal of the soul. And isn't it a wonderful thing when you discover that now you are ready to agree with God? Isn't that a miracle? You go, whoa, my heart has been lined up with God because you have been awakened, aroused from the dead. You have been given spiritual life and now your eyes are open and now your heart is leaning into God. Ladies and gentlemen, that's an expression of faith. Why? Because faith is the what? Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, because I'm now speaking in house language, let me make it plain. Faith is that which takes God at his word and believes God for what he said he did, 
believes God for what he said he's doing and believes God for saying for what he says he's going to do. That's what faith is. So when you meet men and women of faith, they simply believe that the promises of God are yes and amen in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to be worked out through us. I want you all to get that because faith is given to you and me to be worked out so that God can be glorified in things that he did for you that no man can see. So all of a sudden, one day, here you are now having a sympathy toward God. You want to worship the one true and living God. You ready to go to church. You ready to stop clowning a little bit. Stop cussing a little bit. Stop fighting a little bit. You, you know, you a little bit. And, and you're coming around. And now you start to understand the beauty of knowing God. We are out of time today. We'll close our program out here and pick up where we left off next time we're together here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand. Thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. We trust it was profitable in your walk and relationship with Christ. Our goal here at Way of Grace is to make sure that you are growing in Christ, that you are living a life worthy of the calling that has been placed on your life from the gospel. If you have questions, comments, prayer requests, as always, you're welcome to reach out to us here at Way of Grace. Our phone number is real easy. You can reach out to us at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. You can also reach us at our website, grace-bible.com. And you can email us from that website as well as find out more about us, who we are, what we believe worship opportunities. In fact, our worship opportunities are really quite simple. Sundays at 1030, we meet here at the church in Hayward. We also have a Friday evening Bible study at 630 and then a Tuesday evening prayer and Bible study at 630 as well. For more information, again, grace-bible.com or call 510-886-9782. Reach out to us by mail if you want to write 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. The zip code is 94541. As always, it's a pleasure spending time with you here in God's Word, growing in His grace. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.